You're listening to the Reconditioned Podcast, and on today's show, I speak to one half of the Seed Sisters all about kitchen witchery in herbalism. So stay tuned for all things wellness and growth. Your personality creates your personal reality. Authentic power is when your personality comes to serve the energy the body is one ecosystem you can get to the root cause and everything goes away welcome to the recondition podcast where i use my knowledge and expertise of over a decade in the wellness and transformation world to take a deep dive into what makes us thrive as humans. I'm Lauren Vacneen, leading wellness and transformation coach. And following my remission from the rheumatoid arthritis I'd had for 27 years that left me wheelchair bound by the age of 18, I created a unique coaching combination, conflating physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects of self to create true long lasting well being in all senses of the word. This podcast is one of the many free resources I've created to help you achieve the same. Whether you're suffering from chronic illness, raising children in a world of conflicting information, you're an entrepreneur wanting to step into your purpose, or you simply want to feel empowered and motivated to become the best version of yourself, join me along with expert guests as we uncover the most actionable and tangible ways to recondition ourselves back to wellness. This season of Reconditioned is sponsored by Block Blue Light, the world's leading supplier of blue and artificial light blocking products, including blue light glasses and blue blocking lighting solutions. Blue light blocking products aim to alleviate digital eye strain, improve sleep and optimize health through mitigating the harmful effects of artificial light from screens and modern lighting. For a 10% discount across the range, visit blockbluelight.co.uk and enter the code LAUREN10. Thank you to Block Blue Light. Hi everyone, welcome back. Thank you once again for choosing to listen to the Reconditioned podcast. As you know, because as I say, every week I am so grateful. There are so many podcasts out there and I'm so grateful that you've chosen to listen to this one and that you find value in it, hopefully, because that is my intention with this podcast. On today's episode, I spoke to Karen Lawton. So it was the second in our two-part series of herbalism with the amazing Seed Sisters, Karen and Fiona. So last week I spoke to Fiona and this week I spoke to Karen all about kitchen witchery. And it's a really, really, I mean, I think thoroughly enjoyed every second of recording this genuinely. I love everything to do with herbs and plants and it's really something that I want to get into at some point, maybe when the kids are a little bit older, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I just want to read all the books about the herbs and the plants and learn how to forage and learn how to keep a garden. Like It's just really something I would like to do. And actually herbalism, when I was diagnosed with arthritis when I was two, one of the first things my mum ever did was take me to a herbalist. So it's actually been quite an integral part of my journey working with herbs and right now with the work I'm doing with the shaman that I'm working with we're really working with herbs and it's really bringing me back to that and back to kind of the understanding that herbs are just earth you know it's just part of the earth it's plants 
and they all vibrate at their own frequency and you know plants vibrate at a really high frequency and that's why we feel so good when we're out in nature so this episode was really really gorgeous and I think you're all going to enjoy it anyone that has any remote interest in holistic living holistic health in any sort of way which I'm guessing if you're listening to this then you are interested in that then this episode will hold a lot of power for you in other news as you know my recondition your life academy is well underway obviously these episodes are recorded a few weeks in advance so actually I haven't done the maths yet so I'm not sure if the cart has closed or not but check it out laurenvacneencoaching.com forward slash recondition to check out whether or not the cart is still open on my unique approach to coaching, to a holistic approach to coaching where we integrate all aspects of self, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, which is a unique approach that there are not many other coaches doing based on my own journey from disability to remission and the three decade long journey that taught me that it's the only approach that truly works. So whatever it is in your life that you are working in, whether it is money mindset to health, to career, to whatever it might be, it all needs the same approach to healing and the same approach to mindset, spiritual connection, the physical element, and obviously the emotional connection to that. So it's an amazing immersive program that I have spent six months creating and I would love to share it with you. It's for women only. So it's a sacred space where you work alongside a group of other like-minded high vibe women. And that's part of the magic of the course as well. So check that out. And as usual, if you enjoy the episode, please do subscribe and review. If you can take the time to review, it really helps find, uh, more people find us. And give me a shout out on Instagram at Lauren Vacney. And I'd lo- I love hearing what you guys think of these episodes. Um, so just comment on the post I've made about this episode and just keep in touch. I love to connect with you guys. So thank you so much for listening. And here is Karen. Karen and Fiona, otherwise known as the Seed Sisters, are clinical herbalists. They have studied and researched Ayurveda and Chinese models of medicine and incorporated theories from Western and Eastern medicine to develop sensory herbalism. They have run a three-year apprenticeship program for the last 12 years and lecture internationally at seminars about their work. They have a special love and interest in the so-called witching herbs of old, the poisons or power plants. They are avid writers for health and permaculture magazines and have published their own beautiful book, The Sensory Herbal Handbook. They run a social enterprise, Sensory Solutions Herbal Evolution, and have dedicated their lives to furthering access to knowledge about plant medicine. They combine their clinical experience with ritual, art, and creativity to teach herbal medicine in a unique, inspiring, and accessible style, led by the plants themselves. And in the second part of our two-part series on herbalism, today I'm speaking to Karen, a devoted mother, grandmother, and herbalist, who lives in a little village in Hertfordshire where she manages the local community medicine garden and orchard. So hi, Karen. Hello, and thank you very much for having me and both of us on your Oh, you're so welcome. I actually, I'm not even sure I mentioned this to Fiona last week, but the first time we spoke was because I saw you guys featured in the Green Parent magazine. And um, I thought, I have to speak to these women. Um, (laughs) And over the last few months that we've been preparing for this, one thing that has really come from you is kind of your vibrance and happiness. And I wonder if herbs can help us 
to be happier. Oh, definitely. I'd say 100% that the plants can hold everything. And for me, whenever I personally have a down day or where I get some negative news or things aren't particularly flowing a walk in my local surrounds where you know I think of plants as my friends some people might describe me as wacky but I know (laughs) I know that just a short walk to my local I I really like my graveyard because I live in this tiny little village and the church is definitely the centerpiece of the village it's at the top of the hill and it's a very old old Norman church with an ancient graveyard with these incredible I call them grandma and grandpa you and I have been known to be cuddling those youths. I try uh-huh. and do it looking lot, not too mad. <laughs> and I have poured my heart and soul out to the grandma you on occasion. And I've always walked away feeling counselled, held and supported. Oh. So, yes, <laughs> happiness does come from the plants and the herbs. When, when we say herbs, we're talking about all, every single growing plant. I also talk about the mushrooms and it's it's all of nature, really, mm. that herbal medicine encompasses. Yeah, I think it's, it's anything from the earth, right? I mean, I'm working with a shaman at the moment and it's been a real journey because he works with the elements. And so everything has been what he calls herbs, but it, and that's the element of the earth. So anything that comes from the earth is the herbs that we're using and it's Really, really interesting learning about it. As you know, because I, I was seeking your counsel when I had to make my own herbal tinctures, which was an interesting new thing for me. Oh, um, yeah. So talk to me about kitchen witchery and why people should stop fearing the word witch. Oh, well, that's a huge subject in itself. Well, let's kitchen- crack that shell wide open. <laughs> let's crack it then. So to, to Fiona and I, the word witch has been something that people called us. We were kind of adopted at the beginning of our journeys together by a circus. And my partner travelled with a hip hop circus called Baseline. And we went on tour with them and we became the circus herbalists. So a lot of the performers, especially the aerialists, put a lot of tension and work on their bodies. So we'd come and help them out with our various balms like comfrey on sore joints. And very soon we became called the circus witches. So when anyone was coming through with any kind of ailment, they were told, go find the witches. And it How long is... you with the circus? This is amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah, many years. It is amazing. Amazing family. Big shout out to Baseline Circus and all circus peoples all over the globe. Because when you're traveling in a group, you become a family. Mm. Um, when Even if there aren't blood ties, when you're eating, sleeping and working together at that level of intensity... And when you're on the move, it's so important to have really good medical care. And that's where I personally learned a lot of my herbalism skills. When I first left home, I was living on protest camps on the road protest and and then started moving with sound systems. You know, when things happen there, it is so much about personal autonomy because you can't always just go to a GP, depending on what land you're in. But. Also, when you live close to the earth and when you're living in a caravan or a trailer in a truck, you are a lot closer to the earth. A lot of people make a conscious decision to try and use what's around them and rely less on 
the state or whatever system there is. But coming back to witch, the word witch, we started researching and I found out that it comes from the root of the word weird. And that word weird, which is spelt with a Y, came, you know, like Terry Pratchett's weird sisters. Right, yeah. And that comes from wise and wild. (laughs) So there's these ideas that wild, weird sisters are the witches. But we soon found out that there are huge swathes of the population that are very scared of the word witch because it still holds a lot of negativity. It holds history of trauma. And it was during a lecture we went to at the Eden Project where the fabulous Chris Hines, who spearheaded Surfers Against Sewage, was talking. And he said, if you have a campaign, if you have a belief and you want to make change, you need 100% of the population behind you. And it was in that moment we realised that we couldn't openly call ourselves witches because it scares certain people and we don't want to scare anyone. But the word kitchen witchery is a little bit more tongue-in-cheek and a little bit more fun. So we have adopted this term to express what we believe we're doing in the kitchen. And the kitchen is it's the heart of the home, isn't it? It's where we can create and we can... My grandmas, both my grandmas taught me to put love into absolutely every meal. And I have incredible memories of my my grandma from Austria came over on the kinder transport at the beginning of the Second World War as a teenager with her, just herself and her sister. And she was the most resilient. She would have described herself as a tough old bird. (laughs) And she taught me how to mix in love into every soup, stew, cake. And she always said that it's the secret ingredient and it's a little bit of kitchen witchery. <laughs> oh, she said that to you. So is that where it came from? I think so. She had one of those old proper besoms, the old brooms. She was a proper old witch looking character. Oh. <laughs> and the the idea that we can have real power and autonomy over our health choices begins in the kitchen you know these phrases we are what we eat have been famously banded about but they go right back to the ancient philosophers talk about how man is what he imbibes it's so true it's our fuel you talked about the elements and the element of earth the earth the soil the roots are the basis of nutrition. And we see, Fiona and I see the digestive system in our own bodies as a reflection of this element of earth. We've got our own microbiome in our guts, as, as you, you know, and I'm sure many of your listeners have learned a little bit or heard a little bit or read about this incredible microbiome of bacteria in our gut that inform our emotions, inform and help the development of our brains. And the gut is often called the second brain. And we know now what our grandparents knew as second nature because there was a disconnect. Something happened in the kitchen that went alongside female emancipation. So there there has been many, many years of a patriarchal system where women have been 
second class and the kind of role of being in the kitchen has been denigrated and to the point where certain feminist movements in the 60s kind of wanted to break free of the chains of kitchen slavery and a whole new arm of production was created with ready meals and they brought with them a sense of freedom you know I was brought up in a household where my mother didn't particularly want to cook from scratch. She was working in with my father. They had a family business. And I knew, I can still recite our daily meals. You know, we had Finder's crispy pancakes on Fridays. We had frozen fish fingers. There was this whole host of foods that my both my grandmothers and grandfathers who cooked were in shock about. And there was often talk around the Sunday dinner table when we'd all come together as a family that put my mother down and basically attacked her for not being a proper mother because she wasn't cooking for us properly but which is very unfair looking back on it and understanding how the whole of society of women in society at that time were having to go to work and bring up a family and do all of the normal tasks that women have to do in the home because in the 70s, my, my father did not help out. My father never changed a nappy. He did not cook. And but that kind of that, that sense of freedom for, for those women came at a cost um, because it went on to, to my generation. I mean, I, I love cooking. So as soon as I could, I was cooking from scratch because it's a passion of mine. But I also use frozen food. You know, I have a freezer and I have got Finder's, no, I don't have Finder's crispy pancakes, but I do have, um, what was I going to say, fish fingers. Yeah, <laughs> I've got fish fingers in my <laughs> freezer. And I have that with the knowledge that they aren't particularly nutritious. But I've got those because I know that I have days where I do not want to cook. I do not want to be doing it for my family because I'm a exhausted and I don't have the time. So it's about this this whole kitchen witchery is also about being kind to oneself and understanding that when we can and when we have the space we can bring in some herbs so with those fish fingers I would make a salad I would definitely put fresh herbs within that salad I would if I'm making roast potatoes I'd have rosemary on those roast potatoes it's about a balance and ideally yes I'd love to be cooking every meal I eat from scratch ideally actually I'd like to share that with all of my household members I'd like my partner to be cooking from scratch and my kids when they're around to be cooking from scratch for me <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's um we we do have an opportunity at this time to especially at this time with the pandemic I think we're all reflecting on what have been the changes and I know that there's been a huge rise in cooking from scratch I know at the beginning of the pandemic flour was impossible to buy because everybody was at home baking which yeah. was a new thing and it's wonderful it's really fabulous isn't it that yeah. those changes have happened <laughs> yeah absolutely as herbalists, we understand that this this earth system, our guts, 
um, are the root of so many different illnesses. And for example, hypersensitivity reactions like eczema, eczema, hay fever, asthma are all hypersensitivity reactions. And often we can see them traced right back to the gut. And just by removing certain food groups from the diet, like dairy, you can see a vast improvement in people's skin with eczema or hay fever symptoms, depending on the individual. And that often goes back to ancestral patterns and ancestral patterns of eating, because there's huge populations that don't actually produce the lactase enzyme that breaks down the lactose, the sugars in a lot of the dairy products. Um, I think that the East Asian populations, there's something like 70 to 80 people per hundred that cannot tolerate dairy. Mm -hmm. um, and they're the highest populations studied. Um, and there's also populations that can't break down alcohol because it hasn't been in their ancestral diets. So the gut is such um, such an important point, such an important place to look when you're trying to resolve health issues. And seasonal eating, another, another really important point. We've got so used to going into the supermarket and buying little plastic punnets of strawberries, raspberries, blueberries. Yeah, right now, this time of year. Yeah. And so, did you want to say something? Sorry. No, I just said in the winter and that, you know, why would we be buying things that don't grow in this country? At a time when yeah. grow in this country because even yeah. the thing is that I that I always kind of remind people there are loopholes with these kind of organic um the, you know stuff that says organic because it might well be that that product is organic you know like blueberries for example you can get Ocado organic blueberries in the winter but they would have had to have been grown in another country and shipped over so they've probably got preservatives on that have kept them safe. So they might have been grown organically, but there's that loophole that then they, it doesn't have to say, well, using preservatives to keep them fresh to be shipped over to this country in the winter. Exactly. And we've got so used to convenience in our society and it's very it's very difficult for people to give up convenience because it frees up time and that's totally understandable. But what we have to kind of wake up to is all this convenience is so damaging and it's going to cost us our children's futures. And that is what we're, that's what the trade-off right now. And the kitchen witchery and the being in the kitchen brings a sense of, getting out into the garden and growing as well. And right now is such an exciting time at the beginning of spring to be sorting out your seeds and thinking about what you actually want to have a go at growing. And if you've never ever grown anything before, there's super simple crops to have a little start with like radishes. You really, they grow really, really quickly and they're quite exciting and I love doing that with my kids and the grandkids as well really enjoy just germinating seeds. I think 
Cress is probably the very best one to start with, with really young kids. And some of you might remember making egg, you yeah, know, cutting egg. the top off. Yeah. And being able to grow some of our own food gets us connected back in with nature, gets us really deeply in relationship with our own garden or allotment or hopefully a community garden space you might have near you. And that in turn connects you with other people in your local environment. And the community garden is, is something that Fiona and I are super passionate about. So Fee and I met at university and we realised that we had this common interest in changing everything. <laughs> We were we were both angry and we were full of rage and we decided to transmute that rage into something creative and we set up our social enterprise and that has at its heart its aim is to support community growing projects and especially community medicine gardens but what that journey has led us on is meeting so many incredible wonderful gardeners and people connected with the earth and seeing the power that growing food together can bring and it's a healing act in itself. How can we all find our community gardens then or, or even start one because I've only heard about this through you. I've never heard about a community garden near me, but this sounds amazing. It sounds like something I want to get my kids involved in. Yeah, no, definitely. So well, I first came to it through a man called Rob Hopkins. Rob Hopkins wrote a manual about transition, and I think it's called the Transition Town Manual. But just by Googling Transition Town and him, you'll be able to find all of the different areas in the UK that identify it's a model as a transition town and they then will have access and links to community growing projects for sure so when I moved to Northall the village I'm in now I set aside um, creating that model here so Northall village is a transition town and because we have that status we were able to access funding. So we got funding from our local parish to set up a community garden, really small plots with a few raised beds. And then the local council got in touch with us, the borough council, and said, we've got 10 acres of land that's doing nothing. Um, would you be interested in taking it over and potentially having a community orchard project? Wow. So knowing absolutely nothing about land management at all, I was, I was with another neighbour, uh, Angie, and we were just like, yes, of course we will. We'd love to. And luckily, another neighbour is actually a horticulturalist by trade and she came on board mm. and the three of us have been managing that project together for the last five years and it is it's incredible because we've got 80 mixed fruit and nut trees in there wow. and it's it's really uplifting to see how many people from the village have come out of the woodwork because everyone's so busy as well in today's society and it's quite hard to meet your neighbours yeah. it has it's changed because of the pandemic which is a really good thing but um 
the having these growing spaces and community hubs is is wonderful i'm so happy to let you know that the recondition your life academy is now open if you've been listening to this podcast for a while you'll know that my purpose in life is to guide women back to a place of health happiness vitality and purpose and that my three decade long journey from disability to remission taught me that the only way to achieve sustainable core level results is by integrating the four aspects of self, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And that's why I've poured my heart and soul into this program. I've been developing it for seven months, but really my whole life and everything I have come through, learnt and taught has led me to this point. Over 12 weeks, I'll be guiding you and a sacred tribe of like-minded, high vibe women through 12 transformational modules where you, me and the universe will co-create the sort of life you didn't even realize you could have. We'll do this by learning how to unearth and reprogram subconscious limiting beliefs, heal your inner child, break ancestral patterning, connect to your higher self to get to know who you truly are at a core level, awaken your divine feminine, master the universal laws of abundance, get clarity on your goals, learn the physical fundamentals to staying healthy, be guided in a spiritual practice, and so much more that simply cannot be articulated by words alone. So if you're ready to stop making excuses and start making the changes that will move you into a life of health, happiness, peace, and clarity, just go to laurenvacneencoaching.com forward slash recondition. As a thank you for being a podcast listener, just quote reconditioned when you sign up and I'll gift you a free one-to-one coaching session to show my gratitude. The cart will close in a few short weeks and spaces are limited, so make sure you get there soon. All the details are in the show notes. Now back to the episode. And for those of us who don't live in a village, is this still possible? How, like for the person listening who's thinking, yeah, this sounds great, I want to do this. How, how can we go about that? Yes, it's all over. It's in cities. In London, there's the Organic Lee Cooperative who um, have set up an incredible growing nursery. They're always worth getting in touch with. And they'll have links to other growing cooperatives. But I think all of our major cities have got food production at grassroots levels and getting in touch with your local ones of that is a good place to start but if you want to start your own project just get on the lookout for areas of scrubland of wasteland that are in your locale and get in touch with your parish or local councils and find out what's going on Mm. and who's who's using them well, great idea. Well, I'll put those in the show notes, the Transition Town and Organically Cooperative, because um, I reckon people listening to this will be inspired to do that themselves, because I'm inspired to do it now. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's so important. And the other thing is, if you're interested in herbal medicine, get in touch with your local herbalist, because often Local herbalists are running herb walks, herb talks. More than likely, there's a herbalist involved in a growing project because there nothing beats face-to-face contact out in the field with someone that knows their plants. And you can learn so much from just going on a, an hour's walk with someone. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's such a nice initiative as well. And I saw that on your website about herb walks and I thought what a nice thing to do and what a nice thing to do with children as well to get them 
closer to the land and to know more about herbs and so it is yeah it's a lovely thing to do with children and for myself my when when my son was little I was actually at university and it he was very little you know two three and we used to go on walks together and each of the plants has a common name a kind of folk name many folk names and then it has a latin name that is you know for example the dandelion is called teraxicum officinalis and it was at the time of harry potter and he was so engaged with the Latin names because we called them their magical names. And you can get into herbal medicine with children on such an amazing magical level because you do, you make potions with the plants and you can have incantations and songs with them. And I think that in the past, when you go back to our, our ancestral roots, this was just done. This was the way we schooled our children. We will go out into nature and we would create play, creative play, and let our imaginations go wild with each of the plants Mm -hmm. using our senses. And this is the way that Fiona and I teach adults as well, because at heart, we're all kids inside. Mm. Yeah, Fiona was talking about that last week with the, the sensory herbalism and really about using our senses to know intuitively what herbs are right for us and which ones we need and I love that idea I also love how much you're talking about the ancestral side of this I I do a lot of ancestral healing with clients and I speak a lot about I, I, I really believe that in terms of nutrition what our bodies reject or need is so often down to ancestral patterns um you know, and what our ancestors were eating and therefore our bodies can accept or can't accept. So it's like I say, you know, some people that I know cannot really don't do well on a vegan diet. Mm -hmm. Um, They need that meat. Whereas a lot of my Indian friends have always been vegan or at least vegetarian and their ancestors were always vegetarian. And so their bodies have evolved to be okay with that and thrive really well on a plant-based diet and it's just interesting I find that topic very very interesting just understanding that ancestrally like it it just kind of contributes to a lot of what happens in our bodies the the ancestral side of things and I love that you're talking about that yeah it's so important and you know when when I was talking about my grandparents and my my grandmother, um, who I talked about, stirred in the love with me. She was a keen gardener as well. And I have babies of her plants in my garden. Wow. So, and when I work with those plants, I know that she's, you know, she's grown those, they're, they're mothers <laughs> and they come through to me. And she, she was very much of the school of the belief that you talk to plants you know, we know, we know now that when we speak, when we speak, we give, there's a vibration, our voices are heard and the plants feel that. And when we speak, um, if you want to go down to science, we exhale, exhale more carbon dioxide. And as we exhale, the plants inhale. And as they exhale, we inhale. And the plants are our ancestors. 
our deep deep ancestors before we were these human human bodies and this species we are now and we know that and we can see that by our own receptor cells so we have receptors in our bodies that directly fit the plant chemistry the plant compounds into them and just absolutely evolved from being plants from being mushrooms actually but we have co-evolution um obvious throughout our entire systems which is so exciting now that science can bring a whole new kind of layer and language to what a lot of us intuit and feel yes it's it's great <laughs> yeah so lovely and I love also what you were saying about you know putting the love into the food and I'm such a believer in that there's I'm gonna get it wrong but there's a um there's a quote in Krishna consciousness from the Bhagavad Gita about if you feed, if you serve me with love and devotion and as in giving the deed that when they give the deities the food, you serve it with love and devotion and you have to cook it with, like I said, I'm totally paraphrasing. I can't remember exactly, but it's all about cooking the food with the love. And I do this thing on a Friday night. My, my family are, um we always have this kind of big jewish friday night dinner and um my grandmother was moroccan and cooking was her everything that's all i ever saw her doing was cooking and when i cook my friday night dinners on a friday night or if i make my challah which is you know the, the bread that we make on a friday night i have my moroccan music on and i have a picture of her in front of me because i feel that then the love that she gave to her food and to her family to serve her family and the way that she knew how through food is then going into my food yeah it's beautiful isn't it and that it's so it's it's something you feel and you know at the, at the core of you is true medicine and that true medicine begins in the kitchen and our grandmothers are incredibly wise those grandmothers had a lot of wisdom yeah. And there's a beautiful book um, I read many years ago. It's called Like Water for Chocolate. Oh, I um, love that book. Isn't and it, it has... Bella Allende, yeah? Ellen. I'd have to remember if it is yeah. her, but I, I absolutely loved the idea. And what really struck me in that book is there's one sister's cooking for the other sister who's marrying the man that the cook loves and she yeah. cries throughout the entire preparation of the wedding dinner and then all the guests cry because you do you you take in the energy that it's been prepared and it comes to intentions and that's the same with how we actually eat and I I fought, fought to have a table in my house and we all sit round the table every day for meals. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I make my family do that. Sometimes they protest because they want to watch whatever they want to watch or, <laughs> or carry on playing Minecraft. But it's like, no, we're here sitting yeah. around the table. I love to light a candle and make that time a time where we can feel held as a family secure and give thanks be grateful that we've actually got food on the table and yeah. again there's a lot of science to show that if you eat quickly if you eat on the move you don't actually digest your nutrients no. they just move through you so and if you eat when you're upset or angry 
or tense again that's that doesn't feed you properly the nutrition even if you're eating sprouted whatever (laughs) (laughs) you can eat the most dense nutrients but it isn't going to go through if you're not consciously being with your food and sensing what you're eating like a a mindful and intuitive approach to eating and also you know your way of doing it is is making mealtimes ritualistic almost which is and I think it's often the way with rituals that when we're doing them and they become a ritual you don't consciously know that you're creating a ritual but when your children look back on it like I always ate my dinner with my parents around the table my mom always made a fresh meal every single night and now as an adult I can reflect on that and think how wonderful that was and really appreciate that we ate dinner together and that everything was cooked from scratch and like you said there has to be a balance you know because we're busy working moms you know with lots to do kids house and it's not always possible but equally it doesn't take that long to throw certain things together throw together a quick salad to go with dinner or just to I always think preparation is key as well so knowing what you're going to eat for the whole week helps because then you're not standing at at the fridge at five o'clock going right what am I going to cook tonight yeah preparation is key and what you just said there about throwing together a quick salad is is a ritual as well and that's where the herbs can come in really beautifully because traditionally we have eaten bitter salad leaves before you eat a heavy meal and that's that goes through many different cultures and Leaves like the dandelion leaves, which are really bitter this time of year. If you have a chew on a dandelion leaf, what will first happen is you'll get this bitter scents and flavours on your tongue, which we all react differently to because we get super tasters and then people who can't really taste the bitter aspect as much. And that begins to get our amylase secreting, so our um, saliva and it's the beginning of the digestive process and our digestive system is basically a tube and it's a tube that goes all the way from our mouths to our bottoms and that tube is lined with mucous membranes and it just has an incredibly sophisticated range of processes but when we taste bitters it gives a signal to all of the different enzymes in that tract to get ready to process and digest the food and that's why having salad at the table is is a form of medicine and this time of year everything's just coming out so it's the early spring and I went for my walk yesterday and I was nibbling on the hawthorn leaves and I picked quite a lot of those leaves in in our grandparents' time, they were called bread and cheese because they they were out and about and on their ways to school, they used to pick the hawthorn leaves and have them in their bread and cheese, <laughs> have them as we would maybe put an iceberg lettuce into a sandwich. But of course, the hawthorn leaves, because they're wild, they're going to be so much more densely packed with antioxidants and compounds really highly nutritious compounds and that's the way 
the owner and I have brought our children up as well, nibbling on, on lots of different leaves out there. We'll be back to the episode really soon, but first, a quick word from our sponsors, Block Blue Light. So as a busy mum and entrepreneur, there are days where I have to work into the evening, and this means being at my screen way longer than I'd prefer. So a while back, I invested in a pair of blue light blocking glasses. Now, if you've never heard of blue light blocking, let me give you a quick rundown. Natural blue light from the sun boosts our mood and alertness, but technology has meant that we're now exposed to so much artificial blue light from screens, devices and all modern lighting and it's really affecting our health. Artificial blue light disrupts our sleep, interferes with our hormones and causes digital eye strain which can lead to long-term eye health issues. Now I've been wearing my blue light blocking glasses for a while but it was in the second lockdown when I was homeschooling that I decided to get a pair for my five-year-old to protect him from the amount of screen time that was required for his learning and he now wears them anytime he's at a screen and if he's watching TV after dark. We got them from Block Blue Light, who are the world's leading supplier of blue and artificial light blocking products. I chose them above some of the other brands because they're dedicated to delivering the world's most optimal and science-backed blue light glasses and blue blocking lighting solutions like light bulbs. Some benefits you might notice instantly are improved sleep, less headaches, less migraines if you suffer from them, less eye strain, and a genuine boost in your well-being as your body adjusts back to its natural circadian rhythms. And let me tell you, since wearing these glasses, it's the first time in his whole five years that my son has slept past 7am. And my most recent revelation with Block Blue Light has been their fit over glasses. Because I wear glasses for TV and computer and was finding it hard to wear both. But the fit over glasses are designed to slip right over your normal glasses without any heaviness or strain. So you get the best of both worlds. So to check out all of Block Blue Light's incredible health boosting products, including day and nighttime glasses, blue light blocking light bulbs, and 100% light blocking sleep masks to help you into a deeper sleep. Visit blockbluelight.co.uk and use the code Lauren10 for a 10% discount. That's blockbluelight.co.uk and use the code Lauren10. Thank you to Block Blue Light. Is there a way, are there like apps or something like that that can tell you which ones you can pick and chew on and what's good and what you should avoid? It's it's a little bit difficult with apps because there's room for error. Yeah. Um, my The way I started with it was I I used to go into the charity shops and buy every single book about plants. So I have quite a lot of big old older kind of published in the 60s and 70s books where you get incredibly detailed illustrations and beautiful illustrations mm-hmm. but plant id books are the place to start and if you're interested in learning about how to forage it's good to have an understanding of botany because botany is a bit like a new language and it will explain things like what a leaf margin is it's the edges of the leaf but it will say oh they're serrated or smooth they'll tell you if the stalk or the stems are hairy or again smooth or what color they are and it is it's a process and it's a forever learning you know I've been passionately potty about plants for 
30 odd years and I still don't know everything and I would never call myself an expert because there's going to be something that would get me around the corner it's infinite the world of plants and fungi it's infinite which which is something that appeals to me because I love learning and yeah. So I, I'm sorry that I can't say, yes, there's this definitive app. Oh, no. <laughs> but is there a specific book that you would recommend if people want to start foraging? Um, there, no, there's not a specific book, but I can recommend Eat Weeds, which is Robin Harford. He has an absolutely excellent website and he sells notebooks on foraging particularly. Oh, okay. So I would say Robin is the person that I would go to. Right. Um, yes. <laughs> Get that link in the show notes. So let's go back to health in the kitchen and some kitchen staples. And, you know, we're talking about food or the kitchen being, you know, where the healthcare begins. And instead of having this need to just see a doctor when something is wrong taking the time to prevent those things and that begins in the kitchen so how can we begin with that what are the staples we need where can we start yeah so the staples of the kitchen of my kitchen would be the onions the garlic maybe turmeric root if you can get hold of it cinnamon sticks all the kind of things that can be easily foraged out of the shops um, <laughs> um honey I've always got honey and lemons as a child if I was ill that was what we were treated with we got honey and lemon tea and wrapped up warm and put under lots of duvets do but you ever having... go to the doctor um, very very rarely my my daughter's 13 and I took her to the doctor for ingrown toenails when she when she was 11 because I was getting trying to get a referral for her and the doctor was like why haven't we seen her because they hadn't seen her so she wasn't on their records um and I was explaining that she's been really healthy she hasn't needed a doctor and he was really perturbed yeah. and it, even though all I wanted was a referral to a podiatrist, he insisted on prescribing antibiotics, even though she didn't have an infection. And I was just like, but she isn't, she hasn't got an infection. And he said, yes, but she's never had antibiotics. So if she has got an infection. So let's mess up her gut now. <laughs> I was quite shocked. He was very old school, as in he was an older doctor. So I'm, I'm maybe younger doctors wouldn't have done that. But um no, I don't go to the doctor unless it's very, very serious. Um, so normal, normal ailments, coughs, colds, flus, cuts, scrapes, um, allergy reactions are all something that I would treat at home. Yeah. And, and I have something that I recommend is if you have a garden, grow the culinary herbs, mm. get some rosemary, thyme, sage a bay laurel in there marjoram oregano get those culinary herbs the common ones that we all know from our cooking if you are cooking um because they are such amazing medicine as well as to put to add flavor into our foods all of those herbs like the rosemary have volatile oils so any herb that you can think of that when you touch it it gives off an aroma they're known as the aromatics 
because they have scent, aroma. And that scent is there because the plant has its own defence mechanism. And the plant, to defend itself against various different pathogens like bacteria or fungal infections or little beasties that want to eat it, it creates these volatile oils and that puts off the pathogen. So we know that anything that smells can give us, in turn, this gift of protection against various different microbes. Wow. All. It's amazing, isn't it? I just never, never heard it explained like that. That's so nice. It's lovely. And it is, it's, it's the language of the plants. The plants are communicating with us through this scent. Mm. And when we... For example, the rosemary, the rosemary is very antibacterial. So if I was working in a place where I knew I'm going into, I used to go into schools quite a lot. If I'm going into a school, I know that lots of the kids get snotty. I would take a sprig of the rosemary, I put it in my lapel. I might stick another sprig in my hair because I felt it gave me this barrier, almost like a, a force field wow. of protection so if all of those kind of airborne pathogens are all around me I'm I'm protected and I'd have a little sniff of my rosemary and I'd feel that protection That's and amazing. it's amazing <laughs> and the thyme thyme is a specific antifungal so mm. any kind of fungal infection like athlete's foot or people get candida fungal overgrowth in the gut the thyme is wonderful to bring into the kitchen. You can make fresh thyme teas. You can make yourself thyme foot baths. You can put thyme in your soup. It's a, a really, all of these herbs are so versatile to use. When I had COVID, I actually treated it with thyme, um, essential oil, um, mm. lemon and thyme. I was putting on my chest the whole time and um, really, really helped. Yeah, they do. Don't, they're so strong, super strong. Really strong. People kind of underestimate the power of plants. And I treated it solely with plants and natural remedies. And um, yeah, it's amazing what plants can do if you give them a chance. It is I, amazing. I, do you think it's also taking that time, you know, year round to use plants to prevent illness or to prevent how ill you will get when you get ill um, definitely I think definitely. that plays a huge part and then when you do get ill the plants will help you because your your immune system is kind of primed for it already yeah I think it's about developing a relationship with the plants and I think we are as a as a culture I think we're just breaking through our I think we have a real bias about plants. I think we look at nature as wallpaper mm -hmm. and we think, oh, yes, that's pretty. And we um, we talk, we still talk, I still talk about using plants. Mm -hmm. And I think that language is going to be smashed apart in the, the next generation because the plants are, they're alive. They actually have spirits. <laughs> they are incredibly intelligent and there's a lot of research coming out with plant consciousness as well that shows how people might have heard about the wood wide web for example where 
there's foresters that have been researching how trees communicate with one another mm. through the mycelial networks underground. Amazing. And it's very sophisticated intelligence. It's not the way we are, but they have a, a sophisticated um, intelligence and they're able to learn. Plants are shown in experiments that they can learn mm. and they can adapt. And if we can develop relationships at real grassroots levels where we are germinating their seeds and growing them and developing a communicative relationship through them they look out for us they look after us I've seen that time and time again with my family and community and we as humans need to get past our arrogance of of speciesism and it is coming it's still very very new it's still I new. It's coming. I think I think we are moving and such a shift is happening. I just feel it. I feel this shift into consciousness, moving back towards the earth, towards consciousness, people kind of waking up to things that we've been, you know, misled into for so long. And I'm feeling this huge shift. And I think that's going to make a huge difference to how people move forward, like you say, in the next generation. Perhaps yeah. not one, but the next one for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We just need to keep teaching the kids to be to be kind to not stand on the crocuses that are coming up <laughs> I've seen lots of um, lovely acts of kindness in the parks recently because all these little bulbs are coming up and they're getting trampled so people have put little sticks around them and it's lovely what about picking wildflowers then is that okay no it's not okay um there, there's a whole countryside code going out and foraging comes with its own wild crafting issues. Number one is that you can mistake plants that you think are definitely this edible, like the wild garlic, the ramsons are coming out now. And there's loads and loads of recipes online for making your wild garlic pesto. And there are herbs like the lily of the valley that look a little bit like the wild garlic, but will be very damaging and detrimental to your mm. heart and dangerous to eat especially in amounts that you could do in the pesto so it's not all right just to go out willy-nilly it's very very important that you have your id correct and if you've never ever harvested a particular plant to eat before make sure you double check it with someone that has because mm. we want to keep safe and then the other thing is there are certain species that are endangered. There are certain plants that are on, on lists because they're endangered. And if you don't understand about harvesting, people have dug things up from the roots before and then that's it. We could lose whole plant populations. Mm -hmm. So it's about being sensitive when you're going out and foraging. There's an abundance of plants. It's just important that you understand which ones are abundant in terms so, of, for example going out and picking some daffodils that are growing in the park well I, I i just think that if everybody did that they'd all be gone yeah um just leave so them. i mean it's lovely to have cut flowers in your home you know it is lovely i just had my grandma's voice in my head again i saw yeah. her i saw her pulling her face because she hated cut flowers she oh, really? was one she loved plants but she was always like oh why would you do that if you are growing if you're cultivating flowers in your own garden mm. for yourself to cut brilliant or if you're sourcing cut flowers from a lovely ethical flower farm, brilliant. 
but again that's a whole nother conversation right, yeah you know, because there's awful 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 situations especially for women in the flower trade mm. all over Africa and Central and South America and uh, I've written I've written a few articles about roses at Valentine days and just oh. don't do it you know don't do it <laughs> wow good to know okay so before we wrap up I want to go back to growing the, the plants yourself and growing the herbs my husband and I have tried numerous occasions to grow certain things and some things grow and some things don't so what are your tips for like the everyday the rosemary parsley coriander we the rosemaries and the mints are fine but the parsley and the coriander I don't know why they die every year yeah <laughs> so trick? So with growing, what you need to do is take a step back and use your senses once again. It's about observing your plot. You need to know, are you south facing? Are you north facing? What kind of soil have you got? How much sunlight is available? And once you've got a bit of an idea, those, those Mediterranean plants like the rosemary, sage and thyme, they like well-draining soil and they like quite a lot of sun to thrive. And the parsley and the corianders are going to want a little bit more care, possibly a bit more shade, but it depends again on your soil. So the best resource I can recommend there is Jekka McVicker. She's written a fabulous book called Herbs, all about growing your plants. And Jekka also has a great website with loads and loads of information about growing the herb because you you really need to have a look at, at more nuances when it comes to the yeah. growing so really learning about it before you do it and taking the time to read about it and understand what plants need what sort of attention yeah and and how to how to then work with them after they've bloomed and gone to seed what how you take care of them and the management of, of the plants brilliant this is, I've enjoyed this so much. I'm sitting here like, give me more, give me more. I love this. I love talking about plants and herbs in the earth. So thank you so much. So we're going to move on to All About You Now, which is my little segment where I ask the guest a series of quick fire questions to help the listener get to know you a bit better. So I'm going to ask you one of the same questions that I asked Fiona, which was, if you could have one career other than the one you're in, what would it be? Well, I'm going to get this one anyway. So I want to be a comedian. <laughs> yeah, so Fiona said the same thing. And the hilarious thing about that, and no pun intended, <laughs> was that when I saw the picture of you in the green parent, and it was like this, these two wacky herbalists and something just about the your your facial expressions and you just look like a comedy act. And I just want to smile when I see you both. So I am so excited for that. So please keep us updated on that. <laughs> oh well, I think it was inspired by Patch Adams. Oh really? I don't know if you've seen the film, but I yeah. recommend that Robin Williams film to everyone. Yes, yeah, Adams is a real man and laughter, laughter medicine, laughter works. And we know that when we're laughing, we feel good. Amazing. I can't wait to hear more about that. OK, other than, of course, herbs, what have you learned through being a herbalist? I've learned so I've learned everything from being a herbalist. I've learned how to communicate with my family. I've learned how to take time and space and rest for myself because I've watched the natural environment. And for years I watched as the winter happened and I thought, why, why aren't I stopping for winter? You know, I'm not stopping. 
and then one year I did decide that the winter was going to be solely for reflection and writing a book that's why you know the sensory herbal handbook came about because we chose to take space in the winter time to just reflect nature and go inside so I've learned about time and space (laughs) I think that's lovely and also comes back to the keeping on track with your female cycle the feminine cycles your your inner winter is the time where you should allow yourself to go within and hibernate and I I really really live by that Mm, definitely definitely what would your last supper be my last supper is in that conjures up the disciples and Jesus there for me. Yeah, or like um, if you were in death row. <laughs> or death row. Okay, my very last supper. I'm I'm quite a philosophical thinker. <laughs> it's hard to just bring that one. I'm um, saying I could I could never choose one thing. I think I'd say my last supper would have to be made up of all the ingredients that are grown from seed by my great grandchildren. That'll give me some time, won't it? (laughs) (laughs) Not not one I've heard before. Okay, and lastly, one thing parenthood has taught you. Parenthood has taught me to value myself. I had my son at 21 years old and I was on a bit of a nihilistic trajectory at that time. And having him taught me to love myself. Oh, I love that. What a beautiful note to end on. Mm Karen, thank you so much. This has been so enlightening and so informative. And I think people are going to have so much to take away from it. So thank you. Obviously, again, we will put it in the show notes um, where people can find you, but remind people of anything that any initiatives you've got going on or where you would like people to check you out. Yeah, come and check me out on our website, which is sensorysolutions.co.uk. And we've got lots of lovely content about kitchen witchery and recipes you can try in your own kitchens amazing karen thank you so much for being here pleasure thank you so much for having me really enjoyed it thank you so much for choosing to listen to recondition today i'd be so grateful if you could subscribe and maybe even leave a review if you enjoyed this episode and better still if you could share with friends and family who could benefit from the content that's what i'd really love i just want us to share the love so that everyone can understand how to use an integrative approach to life and health for more free resources visit laurenvacneen.co.uk and laurenvacneencoaching.com